Good morning, church. How are you today? It's great to be with you. Uh, hey, listen, if you came in this morning and you said, wait a second, what's going on? This is uh, loud. I didn't know this was going to be like the end of a youth service. I should have paid attention in the announcements. I wish I hadn't come. Maybe you're not thinking that exactly. But I just want to tell you, if this morning wasn't exactly what you expect, um, just remember the words of the great British philosopher, uh, Mick Jagger. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. And, uh, and no, this is, this is awesome. This is uh, the final service uh, with the students here. And students, can we just welcome all of the adults in the room today? Come on. Give it up for them. Yeah. Uh, hey, it has been an awesome weekend. And uh, again, my name is Jeff. I'm from California. I uh, lead a group of nonprofits called the Reach Group and worked in schools around the world and uh, have projects going. The, the, uh, it's kind of amazing to see what God is able to do. We have a small staff of about 10 and we've taken about 13,000 people on trips over the last uh, two decades or so to serve in international capacities and bring the gospel to people. Uh, our nonprofit into the schools, we had the opportunity to speak to more than a million students on tough subjects like depression, anxiety, and human trafficking. And so um, it's awesome. But that's not really why I'm here. The real reason why I'm here is because in 1995, I became the youth pastor of a uh, church in Napa, California, and there was a 14-year-old in my youth group named Janae Hess, and she was an awesome kid. Now listen, you're not supposed to have favorites if you're a youth pastor, but you guys all know, right, that your youth pastors do have a favorite or two. It's just, I'm sorry, it's just true along the way. Uh, And uh, young Janae was one of my favorites, and I was so privileged um, about nine years later to uh, perform the wedding ceremony for her and her husband, Adam, as she became Janae Kane. And so um, that connection has remained all this time, and I've been staying with Adam and Janae this weekend, and it's just awesome. So that's really why I'm here, and also the fact that um, it's an opportunity to come to Mexico uh, with us this year. We have uh, some incredible projects going on. I won't spend too much time, but Zambia, Africa, uh, we're working with our partners there that have a school of 400, a church, a healthcare clinic. Um, It's just an absolutely amazing, amazing opportunity, and actually... Janae's sister, Desiree, is on our staff, and she recently completed raising $50,000 for a home that will rescue girls from forced child marriage. And there's nothing else like it. We're trying to set something up. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Um, God's doing incredible things there. And then in Mexico, uh, we have a ministry called Hope Village, as well as the Hope Center, where we have built a volunteer center that has over 100 beds. We have a tremendous number of people who want to come in. We have uh, migrant workers there from Oaxaca. Um, so you know, they talk about the United States, the work Americans won't do. Well, in Mexico, they have the work Mexicans won't do, too. And it is, uh, so they have Oaxacan people come in and work in the fields for a dollar an hour. Um, and they're living in absolute poverty, even though they're the working poor, it's absolute poverty. We've built more than 147, well, as of last week, 147 uh, homes and school classrooms for people in that area. And then on the rest of the eight and a half acres we have there, we're building a youth camp for indigenous teenagers who uh, typically drop out of school at 14 and start a family, if you'd like to call it that. 
We have built more than 100 homes over the years for young ladies that were 19, 20, 21 years old, three or four kids, husbands long gone for all the reasons you can imagine. Um, And so we got to get to these students with the gospel and with a message of the values that bring you to success, because how many of you know the kingdom changes everything, right? It changes the culture. So it's absolutely um, kind of amazing to see what God has been up to, and I'm so happy to, uh, to be here today. Um, over the last three sessions, uh, we've talked with students here uh, about upending their life in the way that they listen and the choices they make, the way they act, and uh, last night, the way that they think about Jesus and what he's really calling us to. And this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about how we see uh, what our vision really consists of. And so um, I'm going to ask you to do something we've done with the students at every service. Would you stand to your feet? Because uh, I want to uh, uh, have you pray with me to invite the Lord uh, this morning into this place in a special way. I went to Catholic Church once, and I was impressed with how much they stood up and sat down. I didn't need to exercise the rest of the day. Uh, I'm not Catholic, but uh, I, I might as well have you stand up. Would you just pray with me? Say, Dear God, Dear God. I'm so glad I'm here. And God, this morning, you can say whatever you want to me, even if it makes me uncomfortable. Challenge me. Move me. I mean that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you're seated, just uh, look at the person next to you. Say, if you just lied to God, you're in big trouble. I want to speak to you from one of the weirdest scriptures in the Bible. And the Bible is a weird book of stories, okay? There's no way around it. That sounds sacrilegious to you, then you're not really reading the Bible uh, the way you should. The Bible has got tons of really strange stories in it, but this one might be the weirdest. And uh, it has to do with how we see. And I want to tell you something. Um, I am a questionable parent. And you say, uh, what do you mean by that? No, I'm a good dad, but clearly I'm a questionable parent. My wife is a superhero parent, okay? So even if I was good, in contrast to her, I'm just barely slightly okay, okay? But here's the reason why I say that I'm questionable, because I travel all the time. For the last two decades, I've been out of my bed one out of three nights. My wife, every once in a while, for her birthday, her birthday wish has frequently been to leave the family behind and go spend time with friends, which uh, we honor. We're a little hurt, but um, it's fine. We honor that. But when she would do that, when the children were younger, uh, the two children that, that I have, this is when they were a little bit younger. Weren't they cute? Yeah, now they're adults. They're not as cute, so I brought this picture. But when they were younger, she would leave this spreadsheet telling me what, how to feed them and what to do. And I wasn't offended. That's helpful. But my mother-in-law lived with us as well. And when she would come down with the same spreadsheet printed out, I'd say, hmm, maybe my wife doesn't trust me. And then... From time to time, a friend that would help us with the kids from time to time would come over, and she would have the same sheet just checking in on me to see if the children were starving. And that's when I realized, no one trusts me in this situation. I am a questionable parent. And, you know, they would listen to the way I talk to my kids. And, you know, uh, I would talk to my daughter when she was like 10 or 12 years old, and I would say, uh, you know, hey, uh, how you doing? She would say, you know, it's not fair. Her older brother's name is Declan. Her name is Dakota. And Dakota would say to me, she'd say, Declan gets to do that. It's not fair. And I'd say, well, it's not not fair. What are you talking about? Not fair. We love Declan more than we love you. 
And she'd say, that's not true. And I'd say, of course it's true. Declan was here before you. What wouldn't be fair is if we sliced our love halfway down the middle and gave half to him who was already here and half to you, the newcomer, the upstart. Uh, And she goes, no, 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 dad. She's like 10. She goes, dad, no, when a parent has more children, God expands their heart. They have 100% love for both of them. And I said, that is a lie that other parents tell that I will be no part of. I'd say, listen, I go, Dakota, God's love is unconditional. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. God will never love you any more than he loves you right now, and he'll never love you any less. But daddy is not God. You must earn every single day. Earn, earn, earn. There's a number one spot available, and it restarts the clock every day like that. They were looking at me, and I just said, you ever wish you had a normal dad? And here's, here's my daughter. She's quick, okay? 10 years old. She looked at me and she said, nope, extraordinary dad means extraordinary life. I looked back and I said, who's earning the number one spot today? <laughs> God is perfect in every way. And Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1.3. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Listen to that scripture for just a second. God has given us everything we need. We already have it. He's provided. So why is it that we're having such a hard time living the life that God has lined out for us? It's not him. It's us. It's as if a starving man walks in a room and there's the world's greatest buffet in front of him and he just can't see it. He just can't grasp it because as human beings, we suffer from something I'd like to call awareness deficiency disorder where we are constantly missing what God has in front of us, and it's for the same kind of reasons. I told you we were going to read one of the strangest scriptures in all of the Bible today, and it's about a guy you probably know the name, named Balaam. And here's the story. The Israelites have been kind of like milling around in the desert for 40 years. If you know the story, you know the story. They're parked on the other side of the Jordan, and they've been winning battles they should not be winning. So a couple kings come together, especially this guy named Balak, and he's the king of Moab, and he gets these other kings together, and he says, look, those people, they're trouble, okay? And he actually says, I wrote it down here, he says, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. This is old-timey talk for saying, these people are, we're in big trouble here. This is not going to work out. And so they figure out the only way they must be winning is their God must be more powerful than our gods, which he was right about. They said, we got to do something about it. And they find this guy who somehow they know hears from the same God. He doesn't live with the Israelites. He's not a Jewish person. He's not any of those things. But, but he, he hears from God and his name is Balaam. Now, we don't know what's going on in this story, but apparently Balaam does actually hear from God, the Bible tells us, but he takes money. He's sort of a, he's sort of a psychic. He's sort of a sorcerer. And he doesn't, he, he, as people come to him, he can tell them what God is going to do. And so he's become quite famous. So they send people to Balaam and they go, hey, you got to come help us curse these people. And Balaam says to the emissaries that come to him, he goes, hey, look, it doesn't work like that. I don't actually control anything. I can tell you what God is going to do, but I can't make it happen. So I'm sorry you misunderstood. And they said, no, you're misunderstanding. If you will save our lives, we will back up a truckload of money and bring it to you. And he says, well, let me talk to God. So he goes and talks to God. And God says, no, 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 these people, you don't know them, but they're my people, I bless them. And so he goes back to them and says, hey, guys, can't do it. And they say, how about two truckloads of money? And Balaam says, 
Well, let, let me ask God one more time. And this is a big mistake, okay? This is like asking your mom when she's already told you no to something. And the second time she says it like this, fine, just do it. That does not mean fine, just do it, okay? You gotta listen to the tone of voice. <laughs> you gotta listen to the tone of voice there because mom is actually saying the exact opposite of the words that she's saying and God is not happy. So in Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 22, it says, but God was angry with Balaam that Balaam was going, so he sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way as Balaam and two servants were riding along Balaam's donkey. saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls, and then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. It tried to squeeze by and crush Balaam's foot against the wall, so Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then, and this is where the story gets weird, then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done that deserves you beating me these three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I'm the same donkey you've ridden your whole life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground. Why did you beat your donkey these three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. He didn't need to leave that last part. That was just insult to injury there. Then Balaam confessed to the Lord, I've sinned. I didn't realize that you were standing in the road to block my way. I'll return home if you're against me going. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. And Balaam gets the message. He goes, and three times they say, get up and curse these people. He says, I'll just say what God tells me. And say, three times he gets up and blesses the army of the Lord. And the kings are like, listen, you didn't have to come in the first place. And if you did come, you didn't have to bless the people. Uh, you know, you didn't have to curse them. But really, did you have to bless them? This is the exact opposite of what we wanted. But this is a really strange story in a book that has a lot of strange stories. And there's a few things that kind of stand out to me. One is that Balaam is sort of, I already told you, like this kind of psychic character where people come and pay him money so that they can figure out what God is up to when they don't even understand what that God really is. You know, and it's interesting because later he loses it and he tries to lead uh, God's people astray. He teaches God's enemies to do it. And then he's later killed in a battle. He's mentioned by, in the Bible several times, even by Jesus and in the book of Revelation. He's this weird character. Another thing that's weird about this story is Balaam's donkey can talk. Now, listen, I know we just read the Bible and we go, oh, look, the sea parted. Oh, look at that. 5,000 people from a sack lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this isn't Narnia. It's not Harry Potter, okay? This really happened. This donkey can talk. And donkeys don't talk. It may be Shrek, you know, but animals don't talk in general. Parrots can kind of talk. And I'm pretty sure my dog thinks she can talk because she comes over and just goes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and I go and get her food. And she's like, he hears me. Uh, my, my dog is perfecting the art of English in a series of grunts. Kind of sounds like your husband, doesn't it, ladies? 
But this is real. Here's another strange thing about this story. Balaam isn't even surprised by this. He's so mad that he, when the donkey goes, the donkey talks to him and says, why are you beating me? Balaam says, I'm so mad. If I had a sword, I'd run you through with it right now. I'd kill you. I don't know about you, but if I had a donkey and it started talking to me, I think the first thing I would say is, wait a second, you can talk? I mean, you would be a little bit surprised, right? And then I think I'd feel a little hurt, like all these times. We've been on these trips together. Mr. Silent treatment here. We could have been chatting about The Bachelorette, but no. It does make sense why my phone has Wordle on it, and I didn't put it on there. But, you know, Balaam's donkey can talk, and Balaam isn't surprised by this. But here's something that is actually even a little more surprising about this. There's an angel of God standing with a sword in the road, and Balaam can't see it. Now, the Bible tells us that God gives this donkey the supernatural ability to talk, but it doesn't say it gives him the supernatural ability to see. As a matter of fact, God has to open Balaam's eyes to what has clearly been in front of him the whole time, and he's missing it. All the signs were there. God was leading Balaam by talking to him, by putting obstacles in the road. Sounds a lot like us, right? Where we go, God, I really, 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 really want this. And God says, yeah, I don't think that'll be good for you. I'm not sure that uh, that's the right way. And we go, yeah, I think I'm going to look for some other godly advice. And we go to other people and they go, nah, it doesn't really say. It reminds me like there's a story about this guy who's out uh, hiking in the woods and all of a sudden on this ledge, he, his foot slips and he falls down the ledge and he's scrambling and he grabs his tree root. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm saved. And he looks down and below him is hundreds of feet to the ravine below him. And he looks up and there's no handholds. There's no way he's going to be back. So in his desperation, he cries out. He says, is there anybody up there? And he hears the voice of God, my son. Let go. I will catch you. He looks up, looks down, and says, Is there anybody else up there? God tries to talk to us in all kinds of ways, most loudly through the circumstances in our life, through His Word. And yet we have devised all kinds of ways of ignoring it, pretending what's clearly there is not there all along because God asks us to do some scary things, some uncomfortable things like my young friend who was sharing this morning, some things that feel a little dangerous when the real danger is in not following what God has called us to do. You know, we all suffer from awareness deficiency disorder. And let's be honest, men, we have it a little worse than our wives, right? Young guys, I got news for you. Uh, If you're lucky, you will marry a very bright young woman. Probably, you know, the measure of any good man is his ability to marry somebody better than him. And uh, that won't be hard because they're always usually a little bit better than us. But in one way especially, women are more empathetic in all kinds of ways. And it comes out in all kinds of practical ways. My wife sends me to the fridge and says, you know, hey, can you... uh, get something out of the fridge, the garlic or something like that. When I go to the fridge, this is what I see right here. Uh, I look at it and I go, it's just not there. And then my wife says, okay, I'll come and I'll find it. And when she gets to the fridge, this is what she sees right there. Men have the inability to see anything that isn't on the front shelf. And ladies, before you mock us, this has got to be a real medical condition. It's called refrigerator blindness. It hasn't been documented in the journals just yet, but I guarantee you it's coming. 
We just miss stuff, and we miss stuff more than you. And I have done all kinds of dumb things in my life. I was thinking about one of the dumbest times ever. This is a true story. I wouldn't tell you uh, such a stupid story about myself. It wasn't true. We had a friend who, uh, we had our son and their daughter were born on the same day. And then we both had uh, other babies. And so we went to their house, and we had a co-birthday party for the oldest ones. And she handed me her new baby. I'm holding it. And as I was talking to her, I was looking at her, not thinking. And how many of you know that sometimes when a lady has a baby, they don't go exactly back into fighting strength right, right immediately, right? So she still looked a little bit pregnant. I looked at her and I said, boy, it's hot outside. I bet you're going to be glad when that baby is born. She looked at me and she said, what? The one you're holding? And all of a sudden, it's like, danger, Will Robinson. What in the world? How am I so stupid? What's going on? But I'm quick on my feet. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, I have no idea. And I handed the baby, and I just walked away. <laughs> We're still friends. I've never told her that story, but I've told it to thousands of people. <laughs> just this week, in the first service, I was talking about, students, you could be a hero. You know, like Jonathan or Joanna. And then Jonathan came to me afterwards and said, you know her name is Amanda, right? I'm telling you, I, we, just, we just miss stuff along the way. But that's just funny stuff. The fact of the matter is that God is trying to get through to us in all kinds of ways. And he's trying to write a story with us. And sometimes we get stuck in the middle of that story and we just say, Where is God? Over and over again. We can look back and see what God has done to bring us to where we're at. But we can't look forward and say, maybe God's got a different future here. One of my favorite movies of all times from my teenage years is uh, Karate Kid. And uh, I tell my kids, there is no such movie, Karate Kid 2 or Karate Kid 3, The Next Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. Those do not exist. There is one movie called Karate Kid. And it is with Ralph Macchio, who's like 28 years old, playing a 16-year-old in all his cheesy glory, okay? This is, uh, it's awesome. And the story, if you don't know it, by the way, if you've never seen The Karate Kid, you should leave church right now. Go get in your car and go rent The Karate Kid on Netflix. Uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing story. But this kid is getting beat up at school because he's from New Jersey and the cool California kids are there. And then a little Japanese guy uh, who's the handyman in his apartment complex beats up these teenagers. For some reason, that's okay. And then he says, hey, I'm going to teach you karate because they're going to have this big showdown at the tournament and everything happens. And so Ralph Macchio shows up the first day. Danielson shows up to... Uh, uh, Mr. Miyagi's house, and he says, okay, I'm going to teach you karate, but you have to do everything I say, no questions. He says, yeah, I'll do it. He says, okay, first thing you're going to do is wash these cars, and then you're going to wax them. He says, but you're going to do it in a spe- specific way. You're going to wax on, and then you're going to Ah, you guys have seen the movie. And then he says, okay, you're going to sand the deck, okay? But you got to do it this way and this way. And then he says, you're going to stain the fence. And you got to do it just like this and just like this. Then you're going to paint my house. And at the end of four days, Ralph Macchio is tired, sore, and angry. And Mr. Miyagi shows up. And when he shows up, he says, this is ridiculous. I'm not learning karate. What I'm doing is I'm doing chores for you that you should be doing. You ever thought I maybe wanted to go fishing with you? And he says, Danielson, shut up. Not everything is always as it seems. I love those words. The Bible echoes those over and over again. And he says to him, he goes, listen, show me what's going to happen. He says, show me, sand the deck. 
And he goes, eh. he goes, no, no, show me. And he starts showing him these motions. He says, okay, show me. And he goes to take a punch at Danielson. He says, sand the deck. And Danielson goes, and blocks the punch. He says, show me, show me. Wax on, wax off. And he goes to take a punch. And Danielson blocks the punch. And both their minds are blown. So was my 15-year-old mind. It's like, not everything is always as it seems. And the, 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 the story ends with him saying, come back tomorrow. Let's learn more karate. I've talked to so many people and they say, they say, where is God where I'm at right now? I am in the middle of this thing. Yeah, God has worked in the past. God has brought me to where I'm at. But where is he now? You say, hey, yeah, this story is not over. You know those stories with happy endings where the underdog wins? You don't get that without being the underdog in the middle. And God comes in in the end. Maybe some of you in this room, you go, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm waxing. I feel like I'm sanding. I feel like I'm standing in the fence. But maybe God is teaching you karate. Not everything is always as it seems. Just because you can't tell what God is up to doesn't mean he's not up to anything. Because God is always up to everything. He's always writing the story, but the story doesn't work the same because he's trying to upend your life, not one time, not in one weekend, but on a regular basis. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, look, look, the stuff that's around you he said, that's not the real thing. We have this idea that this is the real world, everything we can touch and taste and feel and smell. And then there's this spiritual realm that's out there. And it's not really real. It's kind of surreal. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's the opposite. The truth is that this world is just an avatar. It's just a fake representation of the real world. And he says, if you look at what's in front of you, you will miss the real thing. And Paul knows his whole life, he says, I got it all together. I had all the things. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was knocked off his horse, knocked blind for three days, and for the first time he could really see without the distractions of his physical eyes working. And it upended his life and upended the lives of thousands, maybe billions of people. You can get mixed up. A few years ago, I was on a plane. I was uh, headed back from Denver to California, and they rerouted my plane, so I had to connect through New Mexico, which is never a good idea. Um, people going to New Mexico are frequently strange people. And so I, it was, the plane wasn't very full, and there was this lady, uh, there was a seat between us, but there was a lady, and she was kind of dressed well, and I started talking to her, uh, usually mind my own business, but we just started chatting, and she, uh, she was a lawyer, and she was telling me about her rich friends and pointlessness, and then she, I said, why are you going to, uh, to New Mexico? And she said, well, my daughter's there, and I used started talking about her daughter. She said, yeah, she went to school in Texas and she met this guy. She said, and I don't know. She goes, it's, it's almost like she joined a cult. She said she was in this thing called inner varsity. If you know what inner varsity is, it's like a totally, you know, like uh, normal evangelical campus ministry to colleges, you know, where they have like a church on campus. She goes, he, her husband graduated with a degree in engineering. She got her master's in economics, and instead they moved to Albuquerque to start one of these inner varsity things. 
She's like, you ever heard of that? And I was like, yeah, I've heard of it. It's really not that weird, I, you know. And I said, well, why are you going there now? And she said, well, she said about uh, 10 months ago, she said my daughter became pregnant with uh, what was going to be my first grandchild. She said, but the amniocentesis showed that this child was going to have severe Down syndrome. She said, I encourage her to terminate the pregnancy. She said, but it's like she was in denial or something. And she just said, no, my husband and I have decided that if this is the baby that God has for us, this is the baby we want. She said, but things were worse than they thought, and the baby only lived three hours. She said, so I was there for a couple of weeks. She said, um, I had to go back to Denver to do some stuff at the law firm, but I'm going back, and I'm going to be there for a week. We're going to repaint the uh, nursery. We painted it blue for the baby boy, and uh, we're going to repaint it. It's a pretty painful situation. And I just said, oh, and I kind of mind my own business. And then I felt that prompting of the Lord. I was like, oh, no. And I just asked a question. I said, hey, so this is going to be your first grandson. How are you doing? And she began to sob uncontrollably, so loudly that everybody in the back half of the plane is looking at me like, what did you do? And I didn't know what to say. And we couldn't even continue the conversation. She's sobbing. She can't get it out. She's, she's trying to say, I'm sorry. She can't even get that out. And so after like two minutes, two of the longest minutes of my life, I just said, is it okay if I prayed for you? She couldn't answer, but she nodded her head. And I put my hand on her. And when I began to pray for her, you ever been in one of those services where you just, you could just kind of feel God is there, Right. And it was like that, so much so the people on the plane, you could kind of see them looking around like, whoa, something just kind of changed in the atmosphere a little bit. I mean, it was one of those weird situations. We talked the rest of the plane, and I remember as we were walking down the jetway, she said, you have, you're like my daughter. She said, you've got that thing that my daughter has. She said, I got to talk to her. I think I need that same thing. And as I was getting my coffee at Starbucks, walking out, I just thought, God, how many times have I missed this? where you're putting people in front of me. I'm traveling to go speak to a 1,000 people somewhere and missing the one right in front of me. But God brings those things into our life. And Jesus who said, said to his disciples, constantly trying to get truth to them and saying, guys, guys, you've got to listen. As a matter of fact, he says in John 6, uh, 12 and 13, he says, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. When the Spirit comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He's saying, listen, you'll be able to live a Spirit-led life, but it, you're not even ready right now because God uses things in our life along the way. All of these experiences, all of the little steps along the way, he's using them to bring us to greater places so that we can be led by the Spirit in a way that really is not supernatural. But you got to see things differently than other people. A few years ago in Baja, California, um, through a long series of events, I was standing at the bottom of a hill looking up at an acre and a half of cactus that a lady had just donated to us. And there was a guy from a church in San Diego there, and I was standing next to him, and I said, listen, we're going to build eight houses. We're going to terrace this. We're going to have playgrounds. Eventually, we'll have a community center. Um, we're going to bring in ladies. And I told him a story of a lady named Rosaria. When Rosaria was 12 years old, uh, and she had her first period. Her dad began to sexually abuse her for the next year. Then he started selling her around the neighborhood. Then he sold her to another man who sold her around the neighborhood. And we're talking for just pesos, nothing. And then an even meaner guy came along and married her. They had eight kids together. He was an alcoholic, incredibly abusive, so much so that when we met her, 
her baby who was an infant was dying of failure to thrive. The 10-year-old was putting Coca-Cola in a bottle and keeping the baby alive with those calories. Turns your bones to dust when you're older, but you can stay alive that way. But the final straw after she'd put up this for years and she'd never had one day of school, couldn't even write her own name. The final straw was her husband one day in a drunken rage was taking a hatchet to a propane tank. He was going to blow it up and kill the entire family, burning everybody alive, her and their eight children. So she got out and she came to us and said she needed help. I said, we can do this. We can do this. And the guy said, okay. Long story short, his missions committee gave us $40,000 and we started the project. And he came down a year later and it looked a little more like this at the time uh, as we were there. I think I have this next slide with the completed houses. And if you go there today, it's an amazing thing. But we stood at the bottom of the hill and this guy, tears began to stream down his eyes. And he said, I can't believe you did it. He said, I could not see it. I, I can't believe you guys actually pulled this off. And I looked over him and I said, you gave us $40,000. He said, you were really convincing, but I couldn't see it. And listen, I'm no superhero, but I have figured out that I don't see very well. So maybe if I could just listen to God a little bit, we can see some amazing things happen. And this has been a place where dozens of families have come through, one to three year program where we get them back on their feet. We move these ladies with kids and just the clothes on their backs to owning their own home. We've helped five of them start their own businesses. But it takes seeing something that no one else sees sometimes. And that's the opportunity that we have. Okay, I just wanna finish with these four things and the band can come join us and give you all hope that I'm almost done. Number one is this, don't limit God. Listen to me, don't limit God. God can use whoever he wants to use. He can do whatever he wants to do. In this story, God uses a donkey and a psychic. He can certainly use you and I. Second one is this, don't just do what you've seen other people do successfully. If you wanna see something that's amazing, that's out of the box. Don't limit God to just what you've seen other people do. It is awesome. The leaders that have been in front of you this week, Jonathan and Amanda, the band, the small group leaders, small group leaders, if you're in this room, you guys are my heroes. You guys are my heroes. You are amazing. It's great to have those kind of heroes, but I gotta tell you something else. Maybe God wants you to do something that you haven't seen other people do. One of my heroes is sitting in the row over here, 14-year-old Janae, I knew she had this stuff. I knew she had this stuff. I left the country for the first time with her because she and her sister and another girl wanted to go to Romania. I didn't want to go to Romania at all, but I got conned into it by my wife and these girls. And God put a new call on my life and since then, 40 countries and 13,000 people have gone along with us. But seeing and just talking to her this weekend as I was staying with them and seeing this, just this unbelievable equipment, uh, uh, commitment to a kind of motherhood that most people would walk away from. I love you. You're awesome. I don't have any right to be, but I'm so proud of you. Third one is this. Expect a beating. The donkey is saving Balaam's life. 
and Balaam beats it to death. Jesus said, all men will hate you because of me. Doesn't that just bless you? Isn't that just great? Don't you just think, man, I love standing on the promises of God. People come to me all the time. They say, hey, listen, I stepped out. It's not going well. People are mad at me. My neighbors are offended. What am I doing wrong? And I go, you know, they murdered Jesus, right? The guys whose words would affect two and a half billion people up to this point, they murdered him. Just because things aren't going well doesn't mean you're getting it wrong. Sometimes that's just the way it is. Expect to be. And the last one is this. Don't disqualify yourself. Listen, you don't know what God has. <laughs> if I only did the things that I had, that I, I love Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind, but I, we don't do that. We just put one foot in front of the other. I wish God would light up the world and show me which way to go, but it seems like he hands you a flashlight and you can see maybe two steps in front of you, like you're camping and stumbling towards the campground bathroom, hoping you don't stub your toe. That's the way God works, and that's why a lot of people never take the steps that he's telling them to take because they want to see the end. They want to have it all planned out. Everything we ever start, we don't have the money, we don't have the people, we don't have the time. What we have is the beginning of a plan. And then we see that God modifies the plan as we go. And it has been absolutely incredible. But if I only stepped into situations that I was qualified for, that I was comfortable with, no way. No way. You have no idea how incompetent I can really be. But God steps in. But he usually steps in when we have done our best and our best wasn't good enough. When we've worked as hard as we could and that wasn't enough, that's when he steps in and picks up the slack. But he wants us to do it first. Jesus said, listen, I don't call you servants. I call you friends because I'm telling you what's doing. Ser servants don't know what the master's up to. I'm telling you, I want to partner with you. God wants to partner with you. Imagine that for a second because that's incredible. We started out talking about donkeys, we'll end with puppies. So a few years ago, uh, my wife, uh, we got a dog, we rescued this boxer, and I said, you know it'd be fun for the kids if we had puppies? Uh, wouldn't that be cool for the kids? And she said, fine, but you have to help. And I said, we are parents together. Of course I'll help. She said, that's why I'm saying you have to help. Of course, I was gone when the puppies were being born. And my wife is calling me. I'm talking her through it on the phone, you know. Hey, hey, everything's okay. And uh, she had these puppies. And my wife did what she always does. She had this spreadsheet. And they all had, like, little collars. And she was charting their weight every day. I got home three days later. And I had forgotten something that I knew from when I, when I was a kid. And I had seen puppies. Puppies are born completely blind. And I mean, not just that they can't see, their eyes are like welded shut by God for some reason. I, I don't know if they're, they're adjusting the light. I'm sure there's a scientific reason. Some UK9 experts could tell me, but they are born completely blind and they only have two instincts. One is stay close to mom because mom has milk and milk is how you live. And number two, when mom leaves, get together, pile up, we call it dog pile. Get together, keep the warmth. And they'll even flip around if you watch them. It's crazy. They can't do anything except for whine and eat and poop. But they flip around. They got a little algorithm going of their own. I shouldn't have to probably uh, apply this for you. But here's the deal. When you don't know what God is up to, just remember two things. Stay close to God. He's the source of life. And when you're not sure where he is, Stay close to the other people that'll keep you warm along the way.
you do that, you'll find that that story that you're in the middle of has an end, but you have to see something differently than other people. See what no one else sees so that you can do what no one else does because God has an incredible adventure for us. Hear the whisper of God in a world of screams. God wants to do something amazing. Can we pray? I'm just going to do this. Uh, if you're one of the students as part of the conference, would you guys just stand up really quickly? And if you're one of the adults that wasn't part of the conference, would you just kind of pray along with me in your own way? If you wanted to reach out a hand towards the students, you could do that, whatever you're comfortable with. God, I thank you for these students. God, and the unbelievable potential that they have. God, I've seen it over and over and over and over again that you use ordinary people, sometimes the most insecure among us. God, sometimes like picking a shepherd boy among his brothers who are older, you find the people that nobody else recognizes. And God, we pray for these students. God, lead them and guide them. Help them hear your whisper in a world of screams. God, help them to trade up in a world that wants them to trade down. Help them to realize that playing it safe is not safe. It's the most dangerous thing they could do. And God, help them to see what nobody else sees up in their lives. But more than that, God, I pray that these students would up in the world around them. God, we live in a world that is sick and desperately needs somebody to bring health. We live in a world that's dying and desperately needs somebody to bring life. Lord, we live in a world that is utterly dark and desperately needs somebody to bring your light. God, let that happen among these students as they see themselves the way you see them and their life is completely upended by that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through these messages, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to this weekly podcast. You can always stay up to date with information about what's going on here at Northeast by visiting nebc.ch slash mobile or by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message. And we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples who pursue Jesus fully and love others deeply.